Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Um, can you grab your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 4? Hebrews chapter 4 is uh, what we're looking at this morning. We've been working through the book of Hebrews, um, and it is uh, um, uh, near the end of your Bible. So if you don't know where it is, uh, go toward the end, right after Timothy, Titus, um, and then Philemon, and then you've got Hebrews. Okay? If you have your Bible and you're at Hebrews, if you're able this morning, I'm going to invite you to join me in standing as we read through the text. It's a longer text. We'll get all the way through verse 13 um, together. We'll have it on the screen if you need it there. Um, if not, it's, it's in your Bibles as well. Here's what I, I'd like to invite you to do. It is a tricky text. Um, it kind of bounces all over the place. And so as we read it, I want you to be engaged, right? R- read it, think about it, um, and, and see what God's word has to say here. Here's what it says. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those for, for, who, who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying, through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest is also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is God's word. Amen. You may have a seat. I, um, I absolutely love doing nothing. Um, I don't know if that that makes sense to anyone or not, but I love doing nothing. Yesterday it was snowing, um, and my boys were occupied with some other things, and I made some coffee, and I sat down and just did nothing. I love doing nothing, and and some of you right now are starting to get a little bit antsy because I keep saying I love doing nothing, right, and you don't know how to do that at all, 
right? And, and so that kind of bothers you. And, and you may ask, well, how do you even do that? And I would say to you, give me a cup of coffee and a, a place to sit, and I will show you, right? I'll show you how to do that. I just love it. And, and really, um, uh, this uh, was worked out in a, in a really um, unique way for me because I don't often get to do this. But uh, two weeks ago, Andrew Steger and I went to a conference in California um, about art and how art um, and, and the church could come together and how, how there have been some, some good things and some bad things with that. And, and so we were out there. The conference went through Saturday. Andrew left on, on Sunday. And so Monday morning, um, I was going to another conference in California, waiting on Kirsten, my wife, to, to join me. And, and so I had Monday um, all morning and some of the afternoon just to be there, just to be alone. And, um, and so what I did is I went to one of my favorite coffee places in, in downtown L.A., and I sat there um, from about 6.45 a.m. until about 1 p.m., right? Um, and, and so I just, I just sat there for, for hours. What is that? Close to six hours I sat. I had a couple cups of coffee. Um, I had a book in front of me, so it made it look like I was doing something. I had my computer there and open, so it looked like, yep, he's working. But I, I didn't. I just sat and sort of watched people, watched the cars drive by, and, and sat and did nothing. I love it. Uh, the, the only thing that really rivals that for me is taking a nap. Um, I love a good, good nap. Is anybody with me in that? Not in here today, but is anybody with me with that? All right. So uh, a good nap. I, I love it. I, I love a good nap. And I, and I always have. It's been something that's in our, our family and it has been for a long time. Um, I love the kind of nap where you, you fall asleep and you wake up and you're not even sure what day it is, right? And your stomach feels a little queasy because you just slept so hard. This is what I did in college. I, I um, went to, to school. My undergraduate degree is in the ever so useful um, move of sculpture. So I have a degree in sculpture. And so I would schedule my final critiques in sculpture for Friday mornings at 8 a.m. Okay? So I would schedule them for that. And, and here's the way this has worked. This is going to make some of you squirm really badly. Um, I would think, well, how long is this, uh, this project going to take me? And, and I would think it's probably going to take me about 20 hours. And so if it's on Friday morning at 8 a.m., if I start Thursday at noon, I should be able to finish this in time. And so I would do that and work all night and, and finish at, at about 7.58 and be ready to present that, all right? And then I would go back to my uh, apartment, and this is not recommended from any doctor, but I would take two Tylenol PM, and I would crash hard and just sleep. And I would wake up, and it'd be dark outside, and I wouldn't know why. Is it morning? Is it night? And I'd feel sick. And I just love a good nap. I love it. Even talking about it makes me sort of want to curl up and nap. Both of that, those activities are extremely restful for me. I don't know why, right? And, and maybe if uh, we paid a, a therapist some money, he would uh, tell me about all the dysfunctions that move me in that direction. But, but they are just restful for me. They're, they're extremely restful for, for uh, my soul. And, and to be honest, I'm in a stage of life right now. It's not a complaint. It's just it is. I'm in a stage of life right now where those things don't occur that often. The things that I really enjoy resting in don't happen that often. And here's the thing. We long for rest, don't we? We long for it. We long to, to pause and rest. Whatever that looks like. That, those things may not be the thing for you, but we long for it. We, we deeply long for rest. We desperately desire it. We're, we're tired physically. 
We're tired emotionally, we're tired mentally, we're tired spiritually, we're exhausted in all kinds of ways, and we desire rest, right? Students at CSU have just come off of some school now, and they have a few days for a break, and so you long for that. You're excited about what that could look like for you. Maybe for you, you have a job where you've just been running, uh, you've been run into the ground both physically and mentally, and you have a desire for rest. You're in a season where you just need some rest. Moms, maybe for you, you just need rest, right? That's all there is to it. You just need some rest. Or maybe you're in a place right now where you just feel like you've got stuff planned all the time. Every evening you've got something planned, every morning you've got something planned, and you just feel like you're running from one thing to the next. You're in a season where you're, you're tired and you long for rest. Maybe you're in a season where you're not um, physically in need of rest, but you're emotionally there, where you've just got all kinds of conflict that are, uh, that's weighing you down. A conflict that, that feels like it's just never-ending you from one conflict to the next, and it's emotionally tired. It's, it's draining emotionally. And maybe where you are right now is you're in a place where you um, just want some spiritual rest, where you've been battling the same sin for a long time, and you're ready to just have some rest from that. You wish you could, you could shove that aside and, and maybe just bow out for a time and rest. Or maybe for you, um, it, what you want most is some space for mental rest, where your mind can just take a break, where, where it seems like you're running from one decision to the next, and you're trying to have to uh, figure all of that out and, and what that looks like, and you don't know which direction to go. You just want some rest. You want some rest from that mental stuff. I think that's where we are as a family right now. Our son Solomon, who's nine, has um, epilepsy, and we've been pleading with God that he would heal him um, and, and watching and, and waiting for that. And over the last couple of weeks, he's, uh, he's, Solomon's had a, a couple um, seizure-like episodes that, that now sort of raise our awareness in all kinds of ways. And, and so we're toying with, like, do we put him back on medicine? Do we put him on this medicine? Which direction do we go? What do we do with this? And so our minds are constantly spinning. I remember um, this week, just laying on our bed, and Kirsten said, I'm just ready to not think about this. And, and so we, we want um, that, that kind of mental rest. We want rest. We want rest from that. We, we all long for it. Who, who doesn't in, in some way long for, for just the, the, the sense of being, right, of, of resting? And, and so we come to a passage like what we just read, 13 verses long. That they give us 13 um, references to, or, or even um, direct relation to, mentions of the word rest. 13 different times in 13 verses, we've got this nod to, to the idea of rest. And we come to passages like this, and we think, oh, great. This is going to help me. It's going to give me some instruction about what it looks like for me to now rest, right? I'm, I'm going to look here, and it's going to tell me about how I can get a nap. Right, I can just go wave that in front of my, my boys. But, but, but if we're looking for some quick fix remedy to our physical and emotional and mental and, and spiritual quest for rest, that's not exactly what we'll come to in this passage. But uh, this passage is absolutely and ultimately about living in the deep and lasting rest of the finished work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
And so as we look into this text, I want, I want you to hear that well. That, that in the midst of discouragement, think about this, in the midst of discouragement for this people, this people that gets this, the, the, the writing of Hebrews initially, the, the original context, they're discouraged in their faith, um, and, and they needed to hear this kind of encouragement. They, they desperately needed to hear this in the midst of significant unrest for them. They needed to hear that because of Jesus, they've been invited into a, a deep and lasting and eternal rest in the comfort of all comfort, even though their worlds were beginning to get turned upside down. And that's maybe where you are, where you're feeling a deep unrest. And we need to know that even in the midst of that, we can find lasting rest in in Jesus. We long for it. And so, so my plea to you is this, that that we, would, that, that we would listen to that this morning, that we'd open our eyes to see in the text what we need to see, that, that, that we would understand rest and that our longings would be properly placed. Uh, chapter 4 flows right out of where Eric left off in, in chapter 3 last week, um, showing us, in, in chapter 3, here's what, here's what happens. In chapter 3, the author uses Psalm 95 in, in a way to explain why the people of God in that day, in the wilderness, would not enter into God's rest. Uh, the, the promised land. That's what he's talking about. That's what the author is talking about, that they wouldn't enter into the promised land. And so the author of Hebrews is picking up on Psalm 95, showing how these people were not going to enter into that rest, into that promised land, the, 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 the land that God had promised. And, and here's what happens in the midst of that. Here's why they wouldn't enter into the, the promised land. is because they had been promised by God that God would go before them. God would protect them. God would, go, would lead them and take care of their enemies on the way. And these people doubted. These people didn't believe it. They, they, didn't, they didn't believe God. And, and so they, they lacked faith in, in God and what he said he would do. And because of that, God said that they would not enter his rest, this promised Land, And that leads us to the end of chapter 3, where the author then moves from the wilderness wanderings and their unbelief to address in chapter 4 the people of God now. What does that look like now? So he's tying these things together. He says, therefore, that's why he starts the chapter, therefore, and shows the reader how, how the promise is still there of entering God's rest. That promise is still there. Verses 1 and 2, that that promise still stands. It wasn't just for the people in the wilderness. And if that promise of entering God's rest still stands, then there ought to be them. If that promise still stands, then there ought to be this fear and reverence toward the fact that in our unbelief, we wouldn't enter God's rest. So these things aren't just totally dismissed, but the author is saying, if that still exists, if the promise of entering into rest still exists, then there then ought to be also a fear and a reverence for the fact that in our disobedience, we wouldn't enter into God's rest. Verse 2 tells us that the good news of this promise has come to us just as to them. That they did not enter God's rest because in unbelief they disobeyed. And so the promise of entering God's rest still exists for us today. It's not just about them, but it's for us. And, And the question that you are all probably asking then is this. If for them it was about the promised land, then this is maybe the question you're asking. If the author is making this transition from chapter 3 to chapter 4 and now includes the people of God after the Exodus, saying that the promise of entering God's rest still exists, then what is the definition of rest? 
What is that? That's the question you're asking, right? I'm glad you asked it because that's where we're headed. Starting in verse 3, the author begins explaining God's rest. So 3 through 5. Let, let, me, let me just tell you this right now. This gets confusing. It does. It's kind of all over the place, back and forth between Psalm 95 and, and, and Oliver. It gets confusing. Hang with this because the pinnacle of this passage is here and, and it's beautiful. The, the author includes himself into the argument and says in verse 3, We... We who have believed enter this rest. Those who now believe, those who now believe, those who now have faith, we together enter into that rest. And the author points back to the argument from Psalm 95, gives this call back to that reference. Remember, we've already pointed to the exodus of Psalm 95, right? We've already done that. Those who do not believe and those who disobey, they they won't enter God's rest. But for those who believe, we enter God's rest. So the the author is pointing back to Psalm 95 again. That's how the author is linking this all together. And then begins to explain God's rest. Just lays it out there using Genesis 2-2. I don't know if you picked up on that when we were reading, but he quotes Genesis 2-2. And he says, God's works were finished from the foundation of the world. Uh, this rest, this seventh day has been spoken about somewhere. Right now, again, we, we dealt with this already uh, several weeks ago. The author is not saying, I can't remember where, but it's written about somewhere. Right? The author is really saying, it doesn't matter chapter, verse, that, that's not the point. The point is that God's word is authoritative. This is, this is true and right. And so God's word says in Genesis 2-2, and it's quoted here, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Hang with this, all right? The author is using this literary device that, that was common in this day where one common word between two passages would, would point to one common point, right? So a word that's used in Psalm 95 and a word that's used in Genesis 2-2 all come together to, to make a point, all right? and, and the point the author is making, I think, is twofold. And, and here's where we need to, to hang with this well. First, I think the author is, is trying to let us know God's rest is not just something of the past. It's not just something that we look to in the past. It's not just um, uh, for the people in the, uh, these wilderness wanderings that we'll see in, in just a second. God's rest is something for today as well. That's the first thing I think he's saying. And, and then secondly, he's saying God's rest involves... His completion of work. So God's rest involves also his completion of his work. It's not just about the things back then. It also involves the completion of his work. And so this is, I wrote this out because I think it may be helpful for us to hang with all of this. In the the first, I did it again. I didn't save it. I was going to tell you in the first service, I had a misspelled word there at the very beginning, but I don't have it in this one. But I do have it in this one, and so we'll just go with it. Um, here, here's the argument. The argument goes something like this. If God's rest is not just, that's the word that's supposed to be there. If God's rest is not just something of the past, not just entrance into the promised land, and God's rest involves his completion of work, much like the seventh day after all the, all the things were created, then... God's rest has got to be something that is for yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and something that has already been accomplished. Does that make sense? Uh, just look at that for a second. Um, don't, not that fifth word, though, because it's misspelled. But um, think, think about this. If, if God's rest is not just something of the past, and God's rest involves his completion of work, then God's rest has got to be a rest for today, uh, yesterday, and tomorrow, and a rest that has already been accomplished. It's already been accomplished. 
And, and so what is God's rest then? It's this. Here's the definition that I came up with. God's rest is belief in the accomplished and completed work of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's the push that the author of Hebrews is trying to show us in using the word rest to tie together 95, Psalm 95 in Genesis 2-2, bringing it into our current context. God's rest is belief in the accomplished and completed work of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's been done. It's done. And I think this is a beautiful move. This is why the author says in verse 3, For we who have believed enter that rest. Those who believe in the finished, completed, atoning work of Jesus, they enter rest. This is not about entering the promised land. This is not about keeping the Sabbath on the seventh day. Rest in Hebrews 4 is belief in the work being finished. Acceptance being accomplished because of Christ. So, so pause for just a second and allow that to sink in. That, that rest, wherever we're spinning our wheels, rest, at least according to Hebrews 4, is about the accomplished work. It's been finished. And, and we enter into a belief that it has been finished. I don't know what you're facing. I don't, I know, I don't know everything that you all are facing. I, I know some things about what what a few of you have been walking through over the last weeks. I don't know what you're facing right now, but could that explanation of rest bring a great comfort to your soul? To your soul. That we're busy and we're tired and we're frustrated and we're confused and we're lonely and we're upset and we're hurt and we're discontent. We're restless and we desperately need and and want rest. We want rest physically. We want rest emotionally. We want rest mentally. We want rest spiritually. We want rest in all kinds of of ways. Rest. And how many of us are are running to some kind of fix? If I can just do that. If I can just take a nap. Right, then, then that'll be better. If I can just be alone, then that can be better. If my finances would just, wh- whatever, that, whatever that is, we're running to some fix. How many of us are longing for rest, discouraged by the, the state of how things are going now, and so we're trying to find a fix that will bring us rest? In faith, we've been invited to enter God's rest, a belief in the atoning work of Jesus. And that is, it, it in itself is enough. That life will still be busy. That relationships will still be bumpy. That, that the things that we're uh, working toward and trying to resist these sinful choices and, and the consequences, those things will continue and will fall short uh, of all of the demands. But God's work in and through His Son has been accomplished. And so we walk into that rest. And, and, and while we'll, we'll see this in full when Jesus returns to restore and, and renew all things, we see it in part now. We, we see it in, in part now. We can, we, can, we can be in a place now of, of enjoying God's rest today. That's what the author is, is tying all this together, using that word today to show us that it's, it's for us today. And so he builds this argument of Psalm 95 through this wilderness wandering, showing that, that God's rest can be enjoyed now. This wasn't just something that was promised for the people in the wilderness, pro- this promised land. But, but in verse 6, he, he tells us that the promise remains today. He says in verse 7, if David is able to write many, where, many years after the exodus, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Those in the wilderness hardened their hearts. They, they did. They didn't believe. They were disobedient. So the charge for us today then is this. If you hear his voice, 
If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The rest that God offers for our enjoyment is for today. Don't harden your hearts against that. This goes beyond Moses in the wilderness to Joshua. He even brings in the big guns. Joshua in verse 8. He says Joshua couldn't give him rest either. God wouldn't have spoken through David later on if Joshua could have given rest. And so he has to use David later on to show, no, it's about today. That, that's, that's not what happened at all back then. David talked about this many years later. And now the author of Hebrews is pulling that together and say, yes, yes, yes. Today you can enter God's rest. And so in verse 9 we see, he, he says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I want us to pause for just a second and and focus in on something that is a bit obscure but beautiful, something that I think will lead us to worship. Throughout chapters 3 that Eric worked through last week and 4 this week, the word that is used repetitively is rest. Rest, rest, rest. It's used over and over and over. But we get to verse 9 and we see a bit of a change. You see that in verse 9, the author makes up a word that has never been used yet in the, in the Greek language, right? What kind of authority is that, that you can just make up a word, right? But that's what he does. He, he pulls together two words, uh, Sabbath and rest, and he puts them together, making up this word that, that yes, it includes a stoppage of work and includes the command from God, uh, the Sabbath. It, it's a word that has this meaning of celebrating the Sabbath with praise. Celebrating the Sabbath with praise. The Sabbath rest. Uh, rest uh, of uh, a Sabbath. And here's what the common thought is. The the common thought is that the author may be picking up on two passages in the book of Leviticus. Hang with this, because it's beautiful. Picking up on two passages in the book of Leviticus. If you're a note taker, you can write these down. Leviticus 16, 31, and Leviticus 23, 32. So 16, 31, and 23, 32. Some of the only places in the Bible that these two words are, are put together. And so some think that the author of Hebrews is picking up on the same kind of wording where in those two Leviticus passages, the Lord says it is a Sabbath of rest or it is a Sabbath of solemn rest. Bringing those two words together. Here, here's the beautiful piece. In the book of Leviticus, in those two passages, God is giving a command about the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement is what? Where the people would prepare for for their sins being cleansed and washed away. Through the mediation of a priest and the death of an animal, their sins would be taken care of. They did that annually. And and so the thought is that the author of Hebrews is now picking up in verse 9, saying there remains a Sabbath rest, that same word, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And in using those words, he's pointing back to the Day of Atonement, which happened annually, and and then saying, nope, but look what happens in Jesus. It's done once and for all. Isn't that beautiful? That that he's using these words to bring this together, that points forward to and longs for its fulfillment in Jesus, who has atoned for sins once and for all. The work has been completed. Listen, friends, there remains a Sabbath rest for us today. 
there remains a Sabbath rest for us, the people of God, today. It's not a law to be obeyed. It's not a ceasing of work. Rather, it's a rest in our enjoyment of God in the finished and accomplished uh, atoning work of His Son, Jesus. There, there remains a Sabbath rest for us today, the people of God. It's an enjoyment of this great salvation that we've been warned to not neglect. It's an enjoyment in that. That's the rest that God is saying we enter into. And so with that in mind, verse 10 screams of the truth of the gospel. I want you to see it. Look at verse 10. It screams of of the truth of the, the gospel. The author says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase it to put it in context of how we've defined rest. Whoever has rightly believed and accepted the truth of the gospel is now able to trust that that work has been accomplished. Hear that? That that, that whoever has rightly believed and accepted the truth of the gospel is now able to trust that that work has been uh, accomplished. God's rest is belief in the accomplished and completed work of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Our work, our work in in that direction to, to earn his favor can stop. Our work in a movement to, to, to try to bring God's favor in can cease just like God's work ceased. The author says in verse 11 that we ought to be striving to enter into that rest so that we wouldn't fall into the same kind of disobedience, so that we wouldn't fall into that, that same kind of unbelief that, that God, that, listen, that same kind of unbelief that they dealt with in the wilderness. What was their unbelief there? Is God really going to accomplish this work for us? Is he really going to do what he says he's going to do? And so the author is warning us here, let us enter that rest, let us strive to enter that rest so that we're not in unbelief of what God says he would accomplish. That is rest, true Sabbath rest, all of it pointing forward to its completion in Jesus alone. Jesus is greater. I think this is where where we go in the context of of this whole series on Hebrews. Jesus is greater than the Sabbath. Jesus is greater than the Sabbath because our longing for Sabbath rest is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. It's one of the stones that that Andrew designed in in this whole um, layout is is that middle one of, of manna, that Jesus is greater than the Sabbath. And manna is on there twice. Do you know why? That's on there twice. He's explained this to me. That on that sixth day, in the the book of Exodus, when God commands, on that sixth day, what did God command of them? That they would go and gather twice as much manna, because on that seventh day, they had to trust God to provide. And and so in in this, we we see that Jesus is greater than the, the Sabbath. That day set aside for the people to gather twice as much, forcing the people to trust God on the Sabbath. And all of that points forward to God's ultimate provision in Jesus' atoning sacrifice. Jesus is greater than the Sabbath. And and so the author of Hebrews now ends this argument, combining the use of Psalm 95 and Genesis 2, that we're we're entering God's rest. He explains God's rest, showing that we're able to enjoy God's rest. And he ends by showing even now how we are able to experience God's rest. We're we're able. In in these last couple verses, I think we see that we're able to experience God's rest. God's rest. And the irony in that is this. The the way that we experience that rest is by being examined by God. 
That may seem counter to to what we would want. No one wants to be under under the microscope. But the way that we experience the the rest of God is by being examined by God. And so verse 12 begins with this word for, tying it all back to entering God's rest and not falling into disobedience. He says, for the word of God is living and active. This is all tied together. We often use this verse as something that we put on our journal, right, to help us understand God's Word. But this is something that's all tied together in this chapter. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, getting into all the cracks and crevices of our body, soul, and spirit, discerning even our thoughts and our intentions of our hearts. That's the way the Word of God affects us. It gets in there. If we're, if we're defining God's rest as a deep belief in the accomplished and, and completed work of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Word of God, or God Himself, really, God Himself is able to discern where we have leaned more heavily on a deep belief that we can accomplish God's favor. God's Word does that. It, it helps us see where we've leaned more heavily on, on thinking that we can uh, accomplish everything we need to accomplish to, to gain God's favor, where we've leaned away from trusting that He has finished the work uh, of salvation. The Word of God is able to dig into our lives and, and discern that. It's living and active. It's for today. Here's my question for us. Do we actually want that? Do we really want that? Or would it be better... It would it be better, at least from our perspective, if we could just kind of stay uh, uh, on the perimeter? So I don't really want—I want to believe in God, and I want all the benefits of that, but I, I don't really want God digging into my life to poke and prod at where I can be more like His Son. I don't really want that. Now, I'll say it this way. The, the Word of God, if rightly applied, will not allow you to continue to believe that you're able to accomplish rest— for yourself. The Word of God, if applied rightly, will not allow you to continue to believe that you can actually accomplish rest uh, for yourself, continually pointing you to the fact that Jesus is greater than anything you would put up as restful or comforting or satisfying, as long as you seek rest and comfort and satisfaction in what you can produce. You, you, you'll continually be in a state of unrest. You, you'll continually be there. There, there will be unrest in your soul. I want to finish with, um, in, in this direction, I want to give us some questions to kind of consider for application. Because you, you may be thinking, okay, that's great, but how do, I, how do I move in that direction? If it's a belief in the finished work uh, of Jesus, how do, I, how do I move there? And I, I talked to Kirsten between services, and she said it, was, it could be helpful for, you, for me to kind of explain how we've at least tried to do that with, with what we've thought through with Solomon. And for us, I really don't have any great answers. I wish I had some great answers. But for us, what it's been is just resting in the understanding that God knows his future and that that God has accomplished everything he's going to accomplish in his son on, on our behalf and that we rest in that. We rest in the fact that Jesus' blood has paid it all and that he knows the future. God knows the future. We rest in that. We, we walk in that. Now, does that always just like, oh, yep, now we're fine? No, it doesn't. It's an ongoing battle of belief, of fighting against unbelief. And so some questions that, that may be helpful. Um, have you, maybe just to, to, to begin uh, some dialogue in your own heart, have you been searching for rest in the wrong things, in the wrong ways? You, you feel unrest, 
But have you been searching for rest in in the wrong things? And and in searching for that rest or comfort or satisfaction in the things of of this world, have you inadvertently then trusted what you believe you are able to accomplish? Isn't that what we're doing when we're seeking to, to, to quench that rest? The things that I can accomplish, right? I can stop working early. I can, or I can stop work early. I can, I can do all the right things that would bring rest. I can just lay on the couch. I can, I can do these things. I can put all this in place. But even in that, aren't we trusting in what we believe we're able to accomplish? And then my question would be: How long have you been running in that direction? How long have you sought to accomplish and earn and gain the favor of God by putting yourself together? Maybe that's where you are. I just got to put myself together and make myself feel right. Or maybe the, the reverse of that. How long have you felt shame and guilt and felt like you can't please God because you feel like you can only let him down? How long do you think you'll be able to continue on in that direction? Listen to this. Unbelief in the gospel is exhausting. That's what's exhausting. That's why you're feeling the weariness and and trying to place your rest and your comfort in these different things. Unbelief in the gospel is extremely exhausting. Unbelief says, I've got to prove to God and to others that I'm worthy of his acceptance. And so you spin your wheels trying to gain that. Now, unbelief in the gospel is exhausting, and I, and I bet that, that if you were to, to take an inventory of where you are currently and why you're feeling so much unrest, that it would all come back to the fact that you're not rightly believing. I'm not rightly believing the gospel. That, that I believe it in some way that, that I can build up this stuff to, to make myself feel better. And we're not believing that God deeply loves us and God has given us a rest in the accomplished work of Jesus. God is that, that rest. It, that is rest. And so I want us to do a little searching this morning. I want us to do some, some searching of our own hearts, our own motives, our own souls. And I want to seek the, the Spirit's leading in this as we enter into this, this space. Now, our passage this morning ends with this verse. Now, that does not scream rest, right? Here's what it says. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, you read that and you think, well, that doesn't bring me much rest. But listen, there's a great comfort in knowing that our God knows us so intimately, that we're laid down bear in front of him, that he, that he knows our hearts and our motives and our intentions, and, and that his word is the thing that's digging into that and prying us open. There, there's comfort there. There's grace in knowing that our God knows all of the hidden things uh, about us. That, that's a grace from God. And so I want us to consider that as we enter into a time of asking God where, where we need to be seeing more, more of this um, in, in our lives. And, and I'd like for that to sit with us, allow it to hit. But I also want the truth of what Jesus said to also sink in. And, and here's what Jesus invites us to in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Learn from me. Do you see that? Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. How? By, by coming to him. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're exposed in front of God. We're laid bare and naked, exposed to, to everything that he knows about us. And Jesus invites us to come to him, to, to come rest in him. And so this morning, I, I want to spend some time um, in, in praying that God would open our eyes, that the Spirit would open our eyes to see where we may need to be growing, where we may, may need to confess some things that, that are sin, some things we've grabbed onto and held onto with these verses in mind. So can I uh, spend a, a minute here to pray, and then we'll continue. Let's pray. God, we um, come to passages like this that are, are um, at least in the argument sense, is a confusing argument for us to comprehend. And so my prayer this morning is that you would open our eyes to see what this argument's actually actually getting at. Um, my, my prayer is that I, I would have been helpful in that, but you you work through your spirit, and so I'm, I'm asking you to work. Um, that, that even where I've um, missed the point or missed the argument, that you would be at work in and through your word. And God, my, my prayer for um, us this morning is that we would see very clearly where we've not believed the gospel and exhausted ourselves. Where we've believed that if we can keep working, we'll, we'll in some way gain others' approval and your approval. Or maybe where we've believed that in some way we can gain your acceptance by doing certain things, by creating laws that, that would gain your acceptance. God, would you show us those areas? God, would you reveal to us ways that we've um, maybe even just pushed, pushed you aside altogether thinking that, that we can accomplish what we need to accomplish on our own? Would you reveal those things to us, God, and help us to see them as, as sin and, and confess them and turn from them, that we would rest, that we would rest in the fact that you have, have accomplished all of the work that needs to be accomplished in your Son, and that you've invited us into that rest. And God, while I, I don't know everything that's going on among my friends here today, I do know enough to know that so many of us are wrestling through so many things that have brought us to a place of uh, weariness, whether that be through uh, conflict in relationship or marital strife or through um, illness or through things that we can't control on our own or um, job loss or, or thinking about different jobs that we would want to have and don't have or whatever that is that's caused us to go down the path of, of just spinning our wheels. A lot of unrest. God, my prayer for my friends this morning is that you would help us to believe that Jesus is inviting us to come and experience rest. He's done the work. It's been accomplished. So we enter into that rest. Would you, would you help us in that? We need your help. We can't do that on our own. But unbelief in the gospel is exhausting, and so we desperately want you to help us. 
All these things we pray in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen.